Welcome everybody to this week's episode of the Money Mentors Podcast. My name is Nathan Lear and I'm here again with my co-host Glenn Fairburn. How are you going today, Glenn? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. I mean, obviously in Victoria, as we spoke about uh, last week, there's, you know, we're in stage four, so everyone's sort of slowly adapting to, to the further restrictions. Um, it's a little bit to get used to, not, not a big change in my household, but still nonetheless, it's a little bit frustrating. Definitely. So, um, I mean, yeah, good, good. Thank you. Yeah, very similar to you, just kind of adjusting. Um, so, Glenn, we thought we'd chat today about the the economic impact of of COVID nineteen. So, what you know, what basically damage that is, has done or is doing to the economy and markets. Bit of a bit of a check in on that. It's been a good kind of four or five months now since this has really taken hold of hold of Australia. So we thought we'd just kind of have a bit of a chat about where things are at. So and I think also, to, Nate, just another reason, I suppose, why it's timely is just the, with obviously Victoria moving back into more stricter um, restrictions, there's, there's been a few announcements made by Treasury just to sort of predict what the, what the impact of that may be in coming months. Yeah, so let's start there because that, that's only kind of been this week where Treasury's come out with some some figures and and Glenn that they're impacting quite a big impact on the economy. Do you want to run through some of the numbers you had there? Oh, um, the Prime Minister this week basically said that preliminary estimates from Treasury estimated that GDP would shrink somewhere between sort of seven and nine billion dollars for the September quarter. So, with Victoria making up almost a quarter of the national economy, obviously with further restrictions, further shutdowns less movement and a lot of services being uh, forced to shut down. There's no doubt that it's having a substantial impact, not only on the Victorian economy, how that flows through into the national economy as well. And there's a prediction that the unemployment rates forecast to peak at close to, to 10% now. So th there's no doubt that with the um, further restrictions, that, that it's not just Victoria that's being impacted, it's really nationwide isn't it and, and the flow and effects into different industries definitely so look, these are quite extraordinary numbers aren't they glenn like obviously you know we're talking you know billions of dollars being wiped off with gdp so out the output of the economy um unemployment you know north of 10 percent like that's yeah this is extreme isn't it well there was already predictions at this at the stage three restrictions in most parts of Victoria would cause the GDP to drop by more than $3 billion or 0.75% for the September quarter. And I mean, the treasurer came out and said that the introduction of these new restrictions would blow out those figures substantially. So there's no doubt that there's a massive cost to all this. Hmm. I noticed that the, the, the banks obviously, you know, await what, what Treasury and I know the RB, the Reserve Bank of Australia, the RBA, have come out with figures this week. So they've all uh, revised their figures downwards as well. I, I know that I, I get some of the some of the things I was reading. I guess a lot of the economists are still hopeful that the recovery will be swift um, with the with the Victorian further stage four restrictions and lockdown. I know they've pushed that back a bit, but I think um, you know a lot of the economists are still hopeful that. A recovery will be, you know, kind of swift when we can turn the economy back on, so to speak. Any, any thoughts around that? Oh, well, that's the key question, is it? When can you turn it back on? Because there was, there were thoughts that when we we're moving out of restrictions, it was slowly opening up again, and the economy would, would sort of have that injection 
of, of activity. But, I mean, who's to say that there won't be further um, outbreaks in, in other states in future? So it's maybe this is just the new norm, you know, in and out of restrictions. Um, is it something that, as a society, we just have to adapt to and, and learn to live with? Or Because it sort of makes you wonder how long can you go through situations like this where industries are being shut down um, and I think it's always been viewed as a short-term measure but the question remains is that if this continues if there's not a vaccine you know early next year or whenever they're predicting it I know there, there was I think um, the chief medical advisor in the US was saying they're hopeful of, of having a vaccine by the end of December but there's still question marks around that isn't there so it's yeah, it's just a question that it, I don't think can be answered and anytime soon, isn't it? It's a real tough one. Yeah, definitely. Um, Glenn, another thing that I come across was uh, household income is, is, is estimated to fall by around 6%. Um, I mean, that's, I mean, 6%. So obviously some people will lose their jobs, some people won't, but some yeah. of the estimates I'm reading that, that it'll be 6% by around mid next year. So with the, you know, with the with the job keeper and the job seeker programs, we haven't really seen, you know, that reduction in household income yet. So, um, you know, potentially, you know, there could be a bit more pain next next year in household income. So, I mean, arguably that's being masked masked a little bit at the moment with um with some of the the government initiatives. Yeah. Um, I mean that it doesn't could sound like a lot, does people. it? But when when you know most people are sort of just living week by week, probably don't operate much of a cash flow surplus so you know five six percent that could be the difference between being able to afford you know the repayments on your house or not can't it definitely yeah i mean a lot of people will live paycheck to paycheck and 100 percent, yeah a few percent impact on income can can be massive um so so that yeah so that kind of leads into another another figure and sorry where and just a, I guess a disclaimer, I didn't say at the start, Glenn and I always like to say we're not economists, so um, we're not going to be maybe experts on, on the figures, but um, we're just going to give you our interpretation of kind of what, what we're hearing, what we're reading. Um, and obviously, I mean, one thing I, I didn't, didn't touch on before was, I mean, we spoke about unemployment, but, and I mean, some of the, the job loss numbers are astronomical. I think I was reading, reading something before about 850,000 job losses. I mean, that's that's not far off a million a million job losses, and think about the population of Australia is was it twenty five million? It's a quite a big number, isn't it, Glenn? In terms of actual job oh, job losses. Absolutely. I mean, Treasury was saying that the Victorian shutdown will, will render between two hundred and fifty and four hundred thousand additional people jobless. So we're talking that's additional about, too. That's additional. That's yeah. additional, Glenn. Yeah. yeah. So. So we spoke about kind of the you know unemployment, the the impact on the the GDP or the output of our uh, the Australian economy. Um, you know, with, with 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 reduction in household income and wage freezes, which I guess a lot of people will have, um, some inflation figures were were released. I think it was either this week or last week. And I mean, inflation was oh, actually before we talk about the numbers, Glenn, do you want to do you want to talk us through how you understand inflation? Well, inflation ordinarily is, is the increasing cost of living, isn't it? But I think the figures that you've got, was, was there a drop in inflation? Is that... Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, I mean, ge generally, to give that a bit of context, generally the, the, um, the Reserve Bank of Australia, 
wants inflation to be around two to three percent per annum. So, yes. um, yeah, obviously it's productive for for prices to increase each year. So it's a bit of a fine line between you know you don't want high inflation, but you don't want extremely low inflation or or deflation, which is negative inflation. So um, I know over the last few years, when inflation has been a bit lower than 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 we would have liked, I think it's been kind of in the one percent, one and a half or high ones, so a bit under two percent, but um, so a bit below the two to three band that they target. But in terms of the figures, so for the first time in in twenty two years, um, we've hit basically negative inflation for what quarter was it? I think for the most recent quarter. Yeah. Um, so the consumer price index, which, which basically measures it, uh, fell by 1.9% um, over the last three months to 30 June. Um, and so annual inflation fell to minus negative 0.3% um, from 2.2%. So quite big falls, isn't it, in the inflation numbers? Yeah, and, and some of our listeners might be saying, well, isn't that a good thing? I mean, if prices are falling as a consumer, isn't that what you want? Um, and, and that's a, a valid sort of comment. But very simplistically, the reason why it's a bad thing, if you try and explain it in very layman's terms, it's think about something that you want to purchase. If you think it's going to continue falling in price, what, what would you do, Nathan? Would you buy today or would you just wait? I'd, I'd probably wait till maybe, yeah, it's, maybe it's cheaper. So, Exactly, yeah. exactly right. So that, that's effectively the flow-on effect is that if you've got the expectation that prices are continuing to fall across the board, then people don't spend any money and they continue to wait for the prices to fall further. So that doesn't help with uh, economic activity at all because you want people to, to be spending money. So that's really the, I suppose, very simplistic version as to why um, you want prices to not be falling. Yeah, and, and look, and yeah, spot on, Glenn. And obviously, people are have less money, so perhaps spending less money, less on items and goods and whatnot, goods and services. So, putting that downward pressure on on inflation. So, um, hopefully, it doesn't stay you know too low. Hopefully, it does pick up. But I guess watch this space. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, what next, Glenn? I mean, well, property. I think, I think property is probably always the hot topic, isn't it? Like, a, there, there's been some figures released only in the last sort of week or so um, regarding the performance of property in July. Um, I mean, Melbourne prices have fallen, you know, 1.4% in July. Um, if you if you extrapolate that over a year, that's, you know, almost a drop of 17%. Sydney's fallen about 1%. Um, and, and I think the, the overwhelming theme is is the decoupling of, of the movement of property prices across the country, isn't there? I mean, I've had a few discussions with with people sort of with an eye on property in Queensland and they're saying how there's been a lot of demand from the southern states for property there also because they're they're doing so well from a COVID-19 perspective so yeah it's interesting to see how property prices across the country uh, are varying but there's no doubt that there's pressure on residential and commercial property um, in, in the short term and, and I think one of the key drivers of impact of residential property is going to be employment as we've spoken about before if there's cuts in salaries if there's rising interest rates if each of those factors does have an impact on the on the demand side for property because it affects affordability but generally what happens in an economy is that people just find a way don't they if you've got a job you just find a way you make cuts elsewhere in order to keep your home but 
if you don't have a job or you're, you're out of employment for a long period of time, that's where it's difficult to hang on to your property. Um, so there might be some pressure there. I think banks are going to be um, understanding of the current situation as well. So I don't think you're going to see massive write-offs and things like that, but there might be some forced selling. But I think the other factor is just, just the demand's going to come off. We're not seeing any immigration, so that's going to have an impact on demand. And if people don't have jobs, they're not going to be looking at upgrading or, or buying new properties. Yep. Uh, Glenn, just, just some of the some of the figures I was looking at. So since since kind of March, when the market was arguably before this started, before COVID impact kind of hit us. Um, uh, Glenn, you can hear me okay? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I just had an uh, interruption there. Um, the um, Melbourne has fallen three point five percent since the since since its kind of peak in March, and and Sydney's down one point seven percent. So um, across the board, um, not not to be unexpected. I mean, I know there's been there's been talks of you know it could be could be ten percent. Some people think it could be more. Who yeah. knows? There's lots of different opinions out there, isn't there? Well, you're you're always um, going to have doomsdays, aren't you? I mean, if you just look at if you do a search for you know property. Uh, you know, on, in Google or, or whatever, trying to get an understanding as to what what the market's doing. You're always going to get your doomsday type situation where some people are predicting, you know, falls of twenty percent, thirty percent property collapses. It's really anyone's guess at this stage. Yep, yep. Um, okay, uh, I think the other thing we're going to—I mean, we've, we've spoken about this a few times on the podcast, but just the the, the share market impact. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean. I mean, obviously, we, we follow that pretty closely, Glenn. But the the share market um, is off is off um, from the high point. It's off sixteen percent. So it's obviously had that big fall of thirty five percent. Recovered a lot of that, but it's still down sixteen percent since the since the high point in in February. Yeah, and, and I suppose look when you look at where we're at and what's happening around the world that no one would have predicted. It, it's never great looking at falls, but I suppose it, it's it's reassuring that at least the market um, from its lows sort of towards the back end of March, you know, it's recovered about 30%. And look, it's largely remained flat uh, for most of the last sort of three to four months, um, which, I mean, is that suggesting the market's got, you know, sitting on its hands to, to some extent, just saying, well, at least we, we, we don't know what's going to happen. Um, do they think the worst is behind us and they're sort of just just waiting perhaps for, for a vaccine? There was an article overnight that I read from Goldman Sachs saying that the market's potentially under underpricing the impact of a successful vaccine um, and that that may result in a shift out of bonds and technology stocks into more consumer-driven type stocks. So it, it's gonna, we're not going to know until it plays out, are we? I mean, with the share market it's going to be driven by sentiment there's no doubt about that anything that's happening with COVID-19 but around the world it doesn't seem that yeah there's some parts that are improving but in some ways the market seems to be almost pricing it in as almost like a new norm would you agree with that yeah 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 look absolutely I mean there's yeah there's a lot of uncertainty I think I think what you said about um I know about the vac about the vaccine I know there's a lot of um, people hinging their hopes on that, um, and you, you read conflicting things on on the likely 
yeah. on the likelihood of that. Um, I know I know a lot of talk out of the US is quite positive on it, but uh, I think that's because that's what they want. Like they and, and you know America being America, they'll probably do whatever they can to try. They'll probably be leading the way, arguably, but who knows? But yeah, um, definitely a lot of un, unknowns that lie ahead of us. Um, Glenn, so I think we've covered kind of the the main points we wanted to look at. Just in, uh, I, I guess. Uh, the other thing that's been on my mind, and I don't have any figures to back this up, just as a bit of a discussion at the moment, but just the the debt levels. Um, yeah. I, I don't, as I said, don't have our, our current deficit debt levels, but obviously we're racking up quite astro- astronomical numbers of debt, aren't we, Glenn? Look, we, we are, but I still think in relative terms, compared to where a lot of our peers like um sort of more developed nations our debt levels are still pretty low i mean the government interest rate or the government cost of debt's extremely low um so is that what's is that is that what's saving us glenn when i say saving us is that is that what's making it more palatable for australia and the us and other countries to have 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 higher debt levels because the serviceability of that debt is quite low with interest rates where they are yeah, absolutely. I mean, but see that this is, I mean, you don't want to get into sort of an economic discussion. I'm going back to, you know, high school economics here. The government, the government's there not to necessarily have a balanced budget. They're there to run either deficits or surpluses. I think, um, and this is just a, a personal thing, perhaps as a society, we've become so accustomed and almost attuned to government's running surpluses what that basically means is that they're sucking money out of the economy um, through higher taxes or or um, other ways to source revenue um, the government's there to, to either stimulate or slow the economy when they can the way that they try and stimulate the economy is by running deficits and they do that by borrowing money um, obviously the cost of that can't be ignored but if we look at how the current environment compares to historically i mean the but the government cost of debt's less than 1%. Um, every time they issue new bonds, which is a way for them to borrow money, there's always heaps of demand. Um, so the key is, you think about buying an investment property, Nate, if, you, if you're comfortable borrowing a million dollars, you've got to pay that money back in future. And along the way, you've got to pay interest. Now, the only time that becomes an issue is if the value of that property is going down or not going up. Like if, if the value of the property is going up, are you worried about the debt? Yeah, no, it's, yeah, of course. Yeah, so that's why the <laughs> yeah. government borrows, stimulates the economy. A lot of that money comes back because if they're stimulating the, stimulating the economy, people have income, which they pay tax on, which comes back. Um, so look, I, personally, I'm not concerned with the level of, um, of government debt, given that it's quite low in relative terms. Um, and the bottom line is we've got no choice and the cost of servicing that debt's low and people are still buying those bonds. So I think we're in a good position. Yeah, and, our, and as you said, like our, our debt is relatively low compared to some of our you know, global counterparts, like de- yeah. developed countries around the world. So, because obviously we, we had worked pretty hard in, in recent years to bring, that, to bring that debt down. So I guess we've had that room to take on a bit of additional debt. Yeah, and, um, and that's why we do it, yeah. I mean, we, we've had, you know, unprecedented period of, of um, strong economic act- activity. Governments have been running surpluses during pretty good economic times. So now's the time to, you know, go down a different path and 
try and keep the country ticking along. I mean, that, that's what governments are for. So it, I don't have an issue with it because otherwise, what, what, what's the alternative? We can't cut interest rates anymore. So the only way that you can really stimulate the economy um, is by the government bringing forward perhaps infrastructure things that they're planning down the future. So you could say that, you know, future generations have to repay it, but perhaps future generations can benefit if it's invested in the right way. Glenn, how, how long do you think it goes on for? The, the welfare assistance packages? Yeah, look, that's, I think that's the key question, isn't it? It can't go on forever. There's no doubt about that. Um, it was originally going to September. Now I think because of what's happening in Victoria, they're extending that out to early next year. They have to draw a line eventually. This cannot go on forever. Um, I mean, the government doesn't have, although I'm saying I'm comfortable with the level of debt, you've got to draw a line somewhere. You just can't keep, you know, issuing more and more bonds and printing more and more money. I think it has to stop. Um, maybe March next year. And then hopefully by then there's a little bit more clarity around a vaccine. Um, but I think if, even if there's no vaccine, which there's no guarantee there will be a vaccine, I think as a society, we're just going to have to learn to live with it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was just going to say before that there was quite a few reports that the the level of welfare payments was making it was disincentivizing certain people yeah, to go back to, to work. um <laughs> to go back to work yeah, um yeah. now obviously as a you know as an australian citizen as a taxpayer whatever i'd like to think that you know these programs are well thought out so they're not going to you know that people aren't going to become kind of lazy and just be oh yeah i'll sit on the couch i'll watch yeah. netflix all day and keep getting yeah. paid and it's it's enough and i'm comfortable and the um, reason for that obviously just, just to explain for our listeners is that it was a, it was a fixed amount wasn't it the job the job keeper allowance so even if you're earning eight hundred dollars a fortnight if you're casual that that or you know just on a low low income you're getting fifteen hundred dollars a fortnight so that, that's what you were saying there but to, to, i just don't think the government cared like and, and that's that's not a bad thing i'm yeah. just i'm just saying that they just wanted money in the economy so they didn't care whether people were overpaid or not. But you're right, there has to be, I mean, within any well-developed economy or society, you need a safety net to protect people, but you don't want that safety net to be to the extent where they don't want to go and look for a job. Yeah, it's, it's a fine line and it's not an easy job for those making these decisions, but um, just a, an interesting thing to have a, have a chat about. And... The other thing I've, I've kind of heard a few, you know, I've actually listened to a podcast on this the other day, but with, um, you know, businesses being kept alive, like the, one of the guys I listened to was saying, well, should some of these businesses be kept alive? Like if they're, yeah. if they're a struggling business pre-COVID, you know, COVID's kind of come along and saved them, um, you know, should they be kept alive? And look, I, hard one to answer that, isn't it? Obviously, it depends on the business and what's going on, but yeah, I mean, the eventually... Yeah, the same could be said for the automotive industry that I mean, we were producing, you know, Fords and Holdens in Australia for decades and decades. The government was propping it up and that eventually fell over. So, yeah, I think there's some merit to that. I mean, you can't, you can't sort of continue to, to inject money in industries indefinitely. They've, they've got to be able to stand on their own two feet eventually. Yeah. No, look, interesting discussion. But look, I think we've covered most of the things we want to. Glenn, was there any other final points? that? No, I think we've covered a lot of ground. As, as, as you were saying, that we're not economists, but something that we, we probably, the two of us have a general interest in and we, we, try, we have a very simplistic view on things. So look, we're not saying that we're any experts or anything, but 
it's always good to have a bit of a discussion and just share what we're thinking um, with our listeners. Excellent. Well, yeah, no, good to good to have the chat. We um, obviously spoke about uh, you know some of the economic impact of, of COVID nineteen on on GDP figures, on unemployment, inflation, um, and, and then looked at some of the you know the impact on the markets, the property market, the share market. So. Um, thanks for having us or thanks for listening once again um, and we look forward to having you next week. Thanks everybody for listening again to another episode of the Money Mentors podcast. Um, if you enjoy the, the content, please do subscribe to the podcast um, via um, any good po- podcasting app. Um, once again, please check out our major sponsors website, Hewison Private Wealth. Um, so just just search for Hewson Private Wealth online. Also check out Hewson Private Wealth's um, social media channels, Facebook, LinkedIn or Twitter. Um, thanks again. We'll see you next week.